Hey everybody and welcome to ARE Live. I'm Chris Hopstock, Architect Education Specialist here at Black Spectacles. I'm excited to be your host for today's ARE Live, which will focus on mathematics from PCM, PJM, and CE. We'll be joined by Registered Architect and Black Spectacles Virtual Workshop Instructor Haley Pugh, who will review a number of classic math questions that you need in order to pass the ARE, including topics such as firm financials, updating cost of work estimates, and reviewing applications for payment. If you're joining us for the first time, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved online test prep provider for all six divisions of the ARE 5.0. Our test prep materials include video lectures, practice exams, quizzes, flashcards, and virtual workshops with a variety of membership options available either for individual architects, firms, AA chapters, or schools. If you're curious about how you can get your whole firm on a membership and have your boss pay for it, go to blackspectacles.com and head over to our pricing section. I'll share a link for that in the chat. We're also the first test prep provider to offer an ARE guarantee. If you use our expert membership to the fullest and you don't pass the ARE, we will pay for your retake. I'll share the link in the chat uh, with more information on that as well. On top of that, we're releasing new study material all year long, including section quizzes, which are now available for all six divisions to help you pass the ARE. Over 500 quiz questions are now included with any Black Spectacles membership. Black Spectacles is also expanding its offerings to help architects thrive throughout their entire careers beyond just test prep uh, and software learning. We'd like to extend an invitation to join Spectacular, the professional network built specifically for architecture and design. Create your free profile today to check out our job board, add your portfolio of work, and explore our curated collection of crowdsourced projects from around the world. And I just shared a link to sign up for Spectacular in the chat. At our next ARE Live broadcast on August 11th, 2022, we'll work through a construction and evaluation case study. We'll go through a handful of original questions from a set of our uh, from a set of our construction administration documents with our expert guest, Black Spectacles Virtual Workshop Instructor Garrick Baker. He'll not only show you how to navigate case studies on the ARE, but also provide test-taking strategies and answer all of your burning case study-related questions with a live Q&A session. We'll be sending out a mock exam link in advance so you can test your knowledge before going over your answers during the live broadcast. Uh, today, we will be engaging exclusively on our online ARA community, so head over to that thread if you haven't already. You can either click the link that I just shared in the chat box or find it in the ARE Live section of our ARE community homepage. Everyone who posts on our thread today will be entered to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt, so head over to community.blackspectacles.com and just say hi. Uh, don't forget to stay tuned until the end of this podcast to see if you want. I just shared that link in the chat box. And if you're watching this, if you're listening to this after the broadcast, you can find it in the episode description. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Haley Pugh. Haley is an architect at Bass Pro Shops, one of my personal favorite stores, and is also a virtual workshop instructor for Black Spectacles. Before receiving her Master's of Architecture from Louisiana State University and working closely with Resilience Projects in their Coastal Sustainability Studio, Haley studied mathematics and art, so she's the perfect person to help us out today. So welcome, Haley, and with that, I will hand it off to you. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm super excited to be here and talk some math with everyone. 
Um, so I guess we're going to get started with some questions. So uh, I'm going to show you sort of the interface I've got set up here. So we've got our whiteboard where I'm going to be typing in the process I'm do using to um, answer these questions. Got a calculator at the bottom, which will keep track of all of our numbers and computations. And then over here, I've got uh, the practice exam question. So we're just going to dive right in. So what I like to do whenever I am answering questions, I like to uh, go to the very bottom where we actually have the question and look at what has the question mark. So what we're trying to get at while we're looking at the rest of the question, we can kind of keep that in mind uh, while we're reading everything. So what should the firm's net multiplier be for the upcoming financial year? So what I like to do is as soon as I see what it's asking for, if I remember what that equation is, I like to go ahead and just make a little note of what we're looking for. So I know that the net multiplier is going to be equal to our net revenue over our direct labor. So these are just things I like to keep in mind and now I'm gonna read the question. Okay, so we've got a big table here. It says bottom section, got a blank direct labor line, a subtotal direct labor line that's blank. Then we've got some information about our indirect labor. So if we know our total labor is 694,359 and our indirect labor is 28% of that, our subtotal for our indirect labor is 194,359, okay. So payroll tax and benefits, we've got a number here as well, 85,000. Office expenses coming in at 380,000. And then we've got a subtotal of our indirect expenses, which just puts all those numbers together. And we know what we wanna make, which is 391,641. And then um, we'll have a blank line here for net op operating revenue goal. Okay, so let's read, read the whole question. So the principal of a six person firm organized as an LLC is preparing their profit plan for the upcoming financial year. They are partially complete with the bottom section. So that's what we just looked at. After using estimates from previous years to fill out portions of the top and middle sections. So what should the firm's net multiplier be for the upcoming financial year? So if we come over here and look at our net multiplier, which is equal to our net revenue divided by our direct labor, um, we can tell we're kind of missing some things on our table and we're gonna have to figure a few things out. So I think a good place to start on this one is with our direct labor since it's sort of at the top here. So we're gonna start with that piece. So we don't know what our direct labor is, but we do know what our total labor is, and we do know what our indirect labor is. So if you know that you put your indirect labor together with your direct labor, and they will equal your total labor, we can figure out what our direct labor is. So our total labor is equal to indirect labor plus direct labor. So we're gonna be able to figure out that direct labor portion, that net multiplier. So we look over here and we can see that our total labor is that 694,000 number over here. So that's gonna be 694,359. And that's gonna be equal to the indirect portion, which we also have over here, which is that 194,000 number. So 194,359. And when you add that to the direct labor, it should come out to what we had for total. So that's a quick subtraction problem to get our direct labor. So that's gonna be the 694,359 minus 194,359. And that comes out to a really nice, beautiful 500,000. So we have one component of our uh, net multiplier and we need to figure out this other component, uh, which is this net revenue. 
So this is, a, this is gonna be a lot of equations to get us there, but we're gonna get it. Um, okay, so net revenue is going to be reliant on a couple other things. So one of the equations that I like to use is this net profit one, because we know that we have, we have a profit goal, so we can throw that in as a piece of information we're utilizing. So net profit, is going to include this net revenue number. So net profit is equal to net revenue minus a couple things. It's gonna be minus the total indirect expenses. And we're gonna add that to our direct salaries. Okay, so we've got a few components here and we know several of them so i think we're going to be able to get out get to our net revenue number that we need to plug into our net multiplier so first we start with this net profit which is this line right here so we'll be able to plug in this number so 391 641 oops let's do it on another line okay 391 641 and that's going to be equal to our net revenue which we don't know minus the sum of these two so total indirect expenses which we have a really nice total for it right here. We don't have to add those numbers up ourselves. So let's go ahead and put that number in. That's a 659, 359. And we're gonna add that to the direct portion of the salaries, which is gonna be this number we calculated previously. So that's super nice. So 500,000. And let's go ahead and add those things together. So 391, 641 is equal to net revenue minus this sum. So let's go ahead and, we've already got our 500,000 up here, so we're just gonna add to it the 659, 359. That's gonna come out to this number. So that's 1,159,000. Oops, I'm in the wrong box. Okay, here we go. Okay, and so now we just, uh, do a little addition here. So let's clear that out. All right, so 1159359 plus the 391641. And that's gonna give us a net revenue of this big number. Okay, so our net revenue is gonna be equal to 1,551,000. Okay, so we've got our number for direct labor here, and we've got our number for net revenue here. So now we're gonna be able to calculate our net multiplier. So I'm gonna, I'm running out of room a little bit, so I'm going to move my calculator down just so we can see everything. And I think I'll just put it in up here so we can see that. So. Our net multiplier is going to be equal to the net revenue, which is that number that's still in our calculator. One million five hundred fifty-one thousand divided by our direct labor, which is that five hundred thousand number. And let's do that division real quick. Three point one zero two. And so the question is asking us to put that out, so that looks like about a 3.1 to me. And now we come to the part of the question where we wanna make sure that our answer makes sense. 
So um, what's a good thing to know in this situation is that the industry standard for the net multiplier is a three, and we've got a 3.1. And so I would say that answer makes sense for this situation. So um, there are a couple other things with all of this information that you could calculate or you might be asked to calculate. And I kind of want to go over a couple of those real quick. So I'm going to move this guy down to the bottom. Um, so I do a lot of these in my, um, in my financial workshop that I do for practice management. And we go through all sorts of calculations directly related to firm financials. And one of the things we also calculate is the overhead rate. And that's a good one to understand how your firm is operating, uh, how the operating costs are working that don't really have to do with the direct portion of your salaries. So we'll go ahead and do that real quick as just like a, an adjacent question here. So overhead rate is going to be equal to indirect uh, expenses over everything that makes you money, which is the direct portion of salaries. So basically it's saying it's it's everything that uh, you have to pay for that isn't making you money uh, directly over everything that you pay for that is making you money. So what it's gonna be in this situation, we had calculated um, the direct salary, but we can just plug in our indirect expenses here. So that's 659, 359. And then we put that over the direct portion of salaries and that's going to give us a number. And so that's 659, 359 divided by 500,000, which gives us 1.32. And so a, another good thing to know is that a, a good overhead rate is going to be 1.2, 1.3-ish. So this is a this is a good overhead rate to have for this firm. So would that number make sense if this if they were asking you this question? Um, then another good thing that to know would be the break-even rate. So that's like uh, the minimum that you would need to make to in order for your firm to start making money. And so this one is going to actually be a really uh, a really good way to see if your if your um, firm's making money. So break even rate. This one's probably the easiest math you'll do all day. Is overhead rate plus one. So um, that's some easy math there. 1.32 plus one. 2.32. So these are just a couple examples beyond what I've shown you on how to answer this question. Just some other things that you might get asked uh, on your exam. Um, and these are good things to know um, as far as understanding the financial health of a, of a firm. Thanks, Haley. I really appreciate you going through that. And I, I think um, one, of, one of the most important things you, you mentioned there was um, just doing a little gut check on your number after you get it. You know, you've spent a few minutes going through this question you really want to make sure that you got it right after investing that amount of time and understanding what um, a normal um, net multiplier is for a firm can definitely help you do that uh, that gut check and I'll, I'll say that like it, it really helps to understand how you use a net multiplier to, to think about it right like um, you're going to use your net multiplier to multiply somebody's and, and multiply that by somebody's salary to figure out their billing rate right so I can see a mistake that somebody's making on this question if they're rushing is they might do the division in reverse order in that last step. They might uh, take $500,000 over 1,551,000 and they'll end up with a number like 0.33 or something. 
well, if you're if you're thinking if you're not just stuck in the formula and you're thinking about what these numbers mean, you know, a net multiplier kind of by definition needs to be above one. Otherwise, it's defeating the purpose. You'd be charging a lower billing rate than somebody's salary, and you'd obviously be losing money. Um, so, think through those things a little bit when, especially when you spend a lot of time on a math question, and and really make sure that you've uh, you've got yourself set up to to get that answer right. And I guess with that, we can move on to question two, Haley. Let's take it away. Awesome, question two. So I'm gonna move over here. I'm gonna go to a new page to do some math and I'm gonna clear out my calculator just so we don't have those numbers distracting us um, when we get started with this next question. Okay, so once again, I'm gonna go to the very bottom and read the part that has the question mark just so I know what I'm looking at. So what is the revised cost of work estimate at the end of design development? Okay, so we know that we're gonna have a, a, a dollar bill sign in this and we're gonna round it to the nearest dollar. So, okay, so let's go up to the top and look at what we're working on. Okay, so this is a cost of work estimate during the schematic design phase. Okay, all right, great, okay. So now we've got a whole list of areas here how many square feet they each take up, the estimated cost per square foot, the subtotals for each of those line items, and then a grand total uh, cost of work for schematic design. We've got lobbies and amenities, apartments, the exterior and white box retail, and each of those little components is gonna give us a grand total of uh, over $57 million, okay. So let's read the question. An architect is updating their cost of work estimate at the end of the DD phase and is using the estimate prepared at the end of the SD phase as a starting point. So the following changes were implemented during the DD phase of the project. Okay, so we're about to see how things changed and how that's gonna change the numbers we've got above. All right, so 2000 square feet of amenities were added. Uh, the client informed the architect that they have a 5% owner's contingency included in their pro forma. Okay, that's great, but not useful. The client found a tenant for the retail space and added the scope of building out the space to the architect's contract. So the architect estimates that an additional $100 per square foot will be required to build out the space. And then the apartment finishes were upgraded and the architect expects a 5% premium to be added to the cost per square foot of apartments. Okay, so they've just told us how everything is sort of changed from their expectations in SD. And the architect's fee is based on a percentage of construction cost and is billed at 8%. Okay, so what is the revised cost of work estimate at the end of design development? Okay, so I think what's important to note before we get started is we've really uh they've really given us some information that's probably not going to be relevant so what we're trying to see is how these numbers are changing to affect these and how that affects our our grand total so the square foot of amenities is helpful the client informed the architect they have a five percent owner's contingency included in their pro forma probably not super relevant for the architects maybe more developer side importance, um, found out the tenant, the retail, okay, so additional $100 per square foot for the retail area and for the apartment area, we're adding a 5% premium. And we've got another number down here, which is discussing the architect's fee. So um, 
that's also not really relevant in estimating the cost of work. That's just going to change the fee for the architect. So we've got several pieces of information up here that's going to change what happens up here. Um, and the way I like to approach these is I like to do them line by line and figure out what each item is and then um, get a grand total based on my new numbers at the very end. So I'm going to start this off with just the lobby and amenities and we're going to figure out what that is. I think I'm off the page a little bit. Let me fix that. Say that. There we go. So this interface is a little clunky, but if you, I really recommend um, like practicing with it a little bit because it's it would be a real challenge I think not to have used this tool before and to sit down at your first like ARE uh, situation and to have to fiddle with the tools and I think that's one of the great things that Black Spectacles provides is the ability to have something that's going to really simulate what the actual ARE is going to be like because these are it's a little funky and I was having trouble with it earlier when we were practicing but um, I think I got it figured out now okay so let's uh, let's calculate the lobby and amenities okay so over here we know that we're adding 200 square feet of amenities so we can do some quick math we won't need our calculator for this one adding 200 square feet to the 10,000 that was uh, estimated in schematic design is going to give us 12,000. Oops, let's hit enter. It's going to give us 12,000 square feet. And we want to keep our same cost per square footage. So that's going to be $400. Use your calculator if you want. So 12,000 times the $400 per square foot. And so that component is going to be 4.8 million. And if we kind of compare that number to what the number was previously, it's a bit higher. So that number makes sense for our lobby and amenities. So four, so that's our lobby and amenities line. Okay, so let's go down to the apartments. So our apartments, let's find over here in the text how the apartments changed. Okay, so apartments is this last bullet point. So the apartment finishes were upgraded and the architect expects a 5% premium to be added to the cost per square foot of the apartments. Okay, so we don't have a square footage change. So we can go ahead and put in our 150,000 square feet. That's nothing's happening there, but we are gonna have a change to the expected cost per square foot. So it was at 325 and we know it's going to be 5% higher. So we multiply that times 1.05 to get a 5% increase. And I'm gonna just do that middle math before I get I do this just so it's a little bit easier to keep up with. So 325 times 1.05 to get that cost per square foot component. Okay, so we know that this is going to be 150,000 times 341.25 and that'll give us that apartment component so we've already got our 341.25 on our calculator so we're just going to multiply that times the 150,000 square feet and we've got 51,187,500 dollars and so I like like I said I like to compare what this is compared to what it was so it's higher number. So we know we've probably done that part right and not overly significantly higher. So about 5% higher, right? Which is what we're wanting. Oops, clicked off of that. Okay. All right. So got our apartment component and now we're going to go down to our exterior component. 
So if you look through the question, nothing is really saying that the exterior changed. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna carry that number over. So this 1,875,000, we're just gonna put this right here. And then we'll move on to the last piece of the puzzle, which is the white box retail. And on the white box retail, if we come back over here and see how that changed. So, okay, the client found a tenant for the retail space and added the scope of building out the space to the architect's contract. So that's gonna be an additional $100 per square foot. So that's, that's more easy math. And I'm gonna come up here so you guys can, can keep an eye on what I'm doing. So white box retail, and that's no change in square footage, just change in cost per square foot. So that's still gonna be the 15,000 square feet. And we can do some quick mental math and add 100 to 200 and know that that's $300. And so if we look at the 15,000 square feet and we multiply that times our new cost per square foot, which is $300, we get 4.5 million. And that makes sense. If we look at how significantly that number went up, it significantly changed that. So we're going to have 4,500,000 thousand dollars all right so we've got all of our line items totaled up and so now what we will do there's no real need for me to type them all out but what we're going to do is we're going to add each of these together and we're going to get a total number okay so let's start at the top with the lobby and amenities that's four million eight hundred thousand oh i left off a zero up there but we get the point then we're going to add the 51,187,500 to it. Then we'll get our exterior number, 1,875,000. And then we're going to add our 4.5 million. And we get 60, okay, let me come up here and type it out for you. Oop, that's not a dollar sign. There we go. So 62 million. $362,500. And if we look at that, it's an increased number and everything across the board increased except for the exterior. So this number being higher than what we had previously, uh, that makes sense. Thanks, Haley, that was that was great. And um, you know, as you were going through this, I, I, I did this question from a totally different perspective and I came up with the, the same correct answers. So that just goes to show that there's a lot of times there's there's different ways you can go about these questions. Um, what I did was I I calculated the delta in each of these um, costs. So for example, for lobby and amenity space, um, I knew that 2,000 square feet were being added and there was $400 a square foot. So that is uh, $800,000 being added to the project. And I, I started with that and then I added up the difference in cost for each of them totaled those and added them to the grand total we had at schematic design and came up with the same answer. So um, whichever way you go about it, um, e either of those ways or, or another way, I don't know, um, you're likely to be able to find the, the correct answer to a lot of these multiple step math problems um, in, in different ways. I think the key is to just make sure that you stick with whatever you decide in the beginning and you follow through with that logic. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll mention that I noticed here is, is Haley missed a zero on that first um, that first number, 4.8 million, right? But since she's using commas here in her in her math, and I know that the calculator doesn't show you commas, so that's a little frustrating. But um, always always write your commas in. If Haley wasn't adding commas here, I think she would have 
not had a zero on that number and, and she would have gotten the answer incorrect, right? So um, be, in that, be in that habit of using both commas and units when you're writing out these numbers in, in the whiteboard uh, on the exam. And that can really help you, you know, turn your answer from a wrong one to a right one. And it, it honestly could be the difference in, uh, in a pass or a fail, specifically on PCM. There's only 65 questions on this exam. So um, kind of, I'd say um, everyone counts more so than on the other exams, right? They're all worth a higher percentage of the total exam. Um, all right, Haley, let's move on to number three. Awesome. So I'm going to clear my calculator out so I don't get confused. I'm going to move on to a new page on my whiteboard and I'm going to go to the next question. Oh, wow. Okay. Lots of lines here, uh, but we're going to go straight to the bottom and take a look at that question mark. So what is the current payment due? Okay. So we're trying to figure out how much someone's paying somebody. All right. So at the top here, it looks like we've got a pay app with a whole bunch of lines. So we've got an original contract sum net change by change orders. We've got a blank line here, the contract sum to date. Then we've got total completed and stored to date with a number and then a whole bunch more blank lines. So looks like we're gonna have some calculating to do to get to this line eight, which is the question. So let's, let's read what's going on. So an architect is reviewing an application for payment when they notice a discrepancy in the figures. They decide to recreate the cover sheet in order to check the math. So that's why all this is blanked out. They're starting from scratch. Okay, so the contract for construction calls for a 10% contingency on both completed work and stored items. So they've given us a piece of information here. And the previous application for payment was 298,725. Okay. So they've given us two pieces of information that haven't been filled in on the sheet, which will be helpful. And the great thing about a pay app is it's extremely straightforward. They kind of, they will take you, they will take you through it um, on how to do this. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're just going to walk through this pay app and, um, and calculate everything that's going on. So contract. So we're going to start here with um, just kind of looking at these numbers. So the original contract sum is 3,994,875. And so net change by change orders, you've got $80,000. And so contract sum to date. So that's going to be everything from the original plus everything in the, in the, in the change orders. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come over here and I'm going to keep track of my lines so I can make sure that I've got all the numbers I need. So I am going to start with line three. So I'm going to put a three and a colon just so I kind of know what line I'm working on. Give it a couple spaces so I don't mistake it for one of the numbers I'm using. And we're just going to, we know that it, it says over here on the pay app, it's line one plus or minus line two. And since the change orders have added money instead of subtracted, it's going to be an addition problem. So it's really just this line one plus line two. I'm not going to write that out. I'm going to use it in my calculator because this will go fast. So three, nine, nine, four, eight, seven, five plus 80,000. And that's going to bring us up to 4,074,875. So let's get that written here so we know what line three is. So 4 million. $74,875 for line three. Okay, so line four is giving us the total completed and stored to date. So we're at 610,308.36. All right, and so then we have a retainage. So it's a percent of complete work. So 
So that's going to be something that we're going to need to calculate now. So we know that it's a 10% retainage on completed work and a 10% uh, retainage on stored material. So since four is really just like all of that put together and the percentages are the same. So instead of calculating retainage individually, what we're going to do is we're going to calculate it all at once. So here for retainage, it would be 10% of completed work and 10% of stored material, which was given to us down here in our question, both completed work and stored items, so we can calculate it all together. So that is going to be the retainage that we calculate is going to be this line four times the percentage. So that's going to give us the answer to line five. So we're calculating line five. And so that is going to be let's see, $610,000, 610,308.36, and we're going to multiply that times 10%, so it's multiplied times 0.1, and then we'll have our answer for line five. So let's come down here to our calculator. We don't really need it. You can just move the decimal place over, but I think it's a good habit anyway. <laughs> so six. 10308.36 times 0.1. So our retainage is really just moving the decimal place over, but here we are. So let's make sure that I'm in the right box. So $61,030.84. Okay, so we got our line five. So now we're gonna move to our line six. So line six is just the difference in our line four and line five. So, uh-oh, battle with it a little bit, but we'll get there. Okay, so that's just going to be the 610,308.36 minus the retainage. And so I'm, that's what we're doing. I'm just going to do the quick subtraction in the calculator. So um, another way you could do that is just calculating what 90% of that is, but let's just go ahead and do it the way that the pay app is directing us to just to keep our numbers straight. So that's $610,308.36 minus the $61,030.84. And so that'll give us here a total of $549,000. $277.52 for line six. Okay, so then line seven is less previous certificates for payment. So that is going to be line six from the prior certificate. So we know that the previous pay app was here, was 298.725. So we're just going to go ahead and bring that piece of information over so so we know that this number is 298.725 and then down to eight which is what we're looking for current payment due that's just going to be the difference between our 549 number and our 298 number so we're just going to take a quick difference there so we already have this number in our calculator. So we're just going to subtract the last payment from what the total is due, and then we'll get what's due right now. So 549, 277.52 minus our 298, 725. 
and that's going to be equal to this payup number 250, 550, and we're going to round it to the nearest dollar, so let's call it 553. So this one was pretty straightforward. You just kind of take it line by line. Um, payups are great because they kind of tell you what to do, but I think it's also important to understand what it is on each line you're calculating, but you can take this step by step and you can come up with your final number that is due right there. Yeah, I would say the math on uh, most of these questions is, is you know, pretty straightforward. Even even in the last one, for example, it's it's, it's a lot of multi-step math and you need to you need to uh, keep track of, of your numbers and, and the whiteboard is a pretty good tool for doing that. Um, in the last question, the piece of information that you really needed to understand to get it right was what's included in a cost of work estimate, right? If you if you added in the um, the architect's fee into that number, or I, I believe it was the, the owner's contingency of 5%, if you added those in, you, you'd get the answer incorrect, even though you know how to do math and you, you did the math correct. So um, a lot of these ARI math questions there, um, the math is relatively straightforward, but they're testing you on this one specific thing or maybe two specific things that you, you need to understand how to set the formulas up. Um, on the last one, if you look at B101, I believe it's Article 6, uh, Section 6.1, it tells you everything that's in the cost of work, right? So you, you need to know that when you get a question asking about the cost of work. For this question, um, you really need to know how to apply contingency um, to a, a payout in order to get the correct answer. And it's it's kind of explained to you. I think I think line five is uh, retainage. Sorry, I, I said contingency, I meant retainage. Um, that's probably the most confusing part of a, of a pay-up cover sheet. Um, so being familiar with this and following the instructions one by one, it'll, it'll really set you up for success. All right, on to question four. All right, question four. So I'm going to come over to a new sheet. I'm going to clear out my calculator so I don't get confused, and I'm going to go to the next question. All right, so coming down here to the question mark. What is the firm's current ratio? Okay, current ratio. So this is uh, like a vocabulary term. And so what I like to do is since I know that there is a formula for this, I'm gonna just get that out of my head before I start reading the question. So current ratio is equal to current assets over total liabilities. And a current ratio is really just a way that a firm can see how liquid they are. So it's basically how capable they are of meeting all of their short-term financial obligations. So you're wanting this to be um, greater than one, pretty much. Um, if it's less than one, it means you're probably gonna have a really hard time um, covering yourself for what you need to do in your firm. All right, so that's current ratio. Got that out of my head onto my whiteboard, and now I'm gonna come back and read the question from the top. Okay, so the partners at a firm are reviewing their current financial statements at the firm's monthly finance meeting. The firm's balance sheet lists $250,000 in current assets, $15,000 in work in progress that's owed to the firm, $110,000 in total liabilities, and $140,000 in equity. So right away, I noticed that the words current assets and the word total liabilities were, um, were actual numbers that are on here, but we've got a couple other numbers on here that we kind of want to figure out what they are before we just dismiss them. So $15,000 in work in progress. So 
what you should know probably about uh, money that's owed to the firm is that's going to be already included in this $250,000 in current assets. So it's already accounted for, so we don't need to account for it again. So we can toss that out whenever we're going through our numbers. And then um, we've got over here $140,000 in equity. And so equity is just a way that you can manipulate your liabilities and assets. So equity is really just um, your assets and then you take away your total liabilities and that's what your equity is. So this is really just another number that is using assets and liabilities, but not really something that we need to consider whenever we're calculating our current ratio. So we've got these numbers. The other numbers they gave us were kind of things to throw us off. So this is gonna be a really straightforward question to answer. So we're gonna take our current assets, which is $250,000, and we're gonna divide that by total liabilities, which is not a number sign, there we go. Uh, $110,000, and that's a simple uh, division, and it'll be unitless since the dollars will cancel out, cancel out, and it's a ratio. So it's going to be 250,000 divided by 110,000, and we're going to round this. It says to the nearest tenth, so our ratio is going to be. 2.3 and like I was saying um, really wanting this to be at like over one because you need to be able to cover your liabilities it's basically just saying that everything that you have over everything that you need to cover and it's just like I said a measure of liquidity so 2.3 means that you're probably pretty good yeah this is probably the most straightforward question that we're going to cover today but again if you if you don't know what a current ratio is you you pretty much can't answer this question right here you can try to make a guess and do some math on those four numbers that you see and hope that you get it right it's pretty difficult to do in a in a fill in the blank question if it's multiple choice maybe you can make an educated guess um but current ratio that's that's one of those key 11 financial metrics that you really need to commit to memory um specifically for the pcm exam um, and, and those are covered um, pretty extensively in, in the Architects Handbook of Professional Practice and Haley and our other instructors also cover them really well in our virtual workshops. And um, I would say to really be familiar with those when you are, when, when you walk into the PCM exam, um, you know, there's, there's gonna be a handful of questions that cover those. And if you, you know that you know those and you're gonna get those correct, you're really set up for success that exam. I completely agree. And you mentioned previously um, a list of like seven to 10, I think 10 at what, 10 or 11. Anyway, the Architects Handbook of Professional Practice uh, has a list of vocabulary terms and you really should know how they relate to each other and how to calculate them because coming in and sitting down and typing in, you know, what that equation is, is I think absolutely vital to success. Yeah, there's, uh, there's seven that you can find on the PL statement and I believe four on the balance sheet for a total of 11. And I, if I remember correctly, I think they're covered across two pages, just two pages in AHPP. And um, I, would, I would take a look at those pages and, uh, and, and really commit those to memory for this exam. Awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna move on to the next question. So I'm clearing out my calculator. I'm hitting a new page and I'm going to the next question. All right, so let's check out the question mark. 
So based on the above information, how many weeks should the DD phase last? Okay, so a principal is reviewing the work plan that was prepared by a project manager for a new construction healthcare facility. The architect is charging the client a fixed fee of $388,800. Okay, the project phases will be billed at 20% SD, 25% DD, 30% CD, 5% BD and 20% CA. And then the principal as a $200 direct hourly rate, project manager $100 direct hourly rate, designer a $60 direct hourly rate. And we know that during DD, the project will be staffed with two designers and one project manager all working full time on the project. So we're gonna assume 40 hours. And the principal will spend 10 hours per week working on the project and the firm has a 3.0 net multiplier. Okay, so back down to the question. Based on the inf above information, how many weeks should DD phase last round to the nearest whole week? Okay, so we know that we're looking at the DD phase and we know how much the fixed fee is and we know, we know a lot of other stuff. So the way that I would approach this is we know we need to figure out what portion of the fee is available to spend on DD. All right, so the way I would start this is I know that my DD phase is gonna be 25% of, of the total billing and I have my total billing. So I'm gonna figure out what portion I have to spend on, um, on this project basically based on this whole fee. So what I'll do is I'll take 0.25 to get 25% and I'll multiply that times the total cost that we'll be billing. So 388,800 and we'll come down here to our handy dandy calculator. 0.25 times 388,800 and that's going to give us this much money to bill, $97,200 that we're going to be able to bill for this portion. And that number makes sense because it's about a quarter of this. So now that we know how much money we have to spend, we need to look at what, who, how, okay, how we're going to be billing this based on who's working on the project. So since we're calculating this per week, because the question is talking about weeks, I'm going to calculate how much we're, how much we will bill based on these individual uh, people, how much they're making, and then we'll look at that against the net multiplier. So we're going to look at weekly what, uh, how much we're paying people based on what they're doing uh, on the project. So let's start with our, this over here. So during DD, the project that's showing you how it's staffed, now we're gonna calculate how much we're paying each, how much we're paying per week for this project. So we've got two designers, a project manager, and they're all working full-time and then the principal's not working full-time. Okay, so I am gonna start off with our designers. So we have two designers, and they're each working 40 hours this week, and their direct billing is $60 per hour. So that's the portion of the weekly uh, spending, spending that we'll do on their salary, and then we're going to add in the project manager. So that's one individual times uh, 40 hours, because they're working full-time on this as well, and their billing rate is a hundred so we're going to put in their hundred dollars and then we've got one more person working on it but they're not working full-time this is going to be the principal so 
one individual and they're only working 10 hours a week on this and they're gonna get a direct hourly rate of $200. So we're gonna do each of these components and we'll add them up. So two times 40 times 60, so that's 4,800. And then we've got one times 40 times 100, which is easy, but we'll go ahead and do it in our calculator. So 4,000. And then we've got one times 10 times 200, which is 2,000. We'll go ahead and get it in our calculator, 2,000. And so now we're gonna see what we're actually paying people for this work, and then we'll be able to calculate how much we're billing here in just a second. So it's 2,000 plus 4,000 plus 4,800. So we're spending the direct amount that we're paying is 10,800. So this is what they're getting paid. Now we need to calculate what we need to charge for it. So what's great about that is that this is a pretty straightforward uh, question since they've already given us the net multiplier. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take what their direct hourly rate is as, as a team for the week, which is they're getting paid $10,800 as a team for the week. And then we're gonna multiply that times the net multiplier to find out how much we're actually billing the client per week for this project. So that's gonna be this 10,800 times the net multiplier, which is three. So this times three. And that means that on this project, we are billing based on our staffing, $32,400 per week on this project. So this is how much we charge per week. This is our total as far as how much we should be spending or how much we should be billing on this project total for this phase. And so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna see how many weeks we can get out of this. And so we're gonna divide this total. Oh, there's a two there. It's good to keep your numbers straight. <laughs> divided by your 32,400 and we'll see what that gets us. So 97,200 divided by 32,400, and that comes out to a nice even three weeks, and that'll be our answer. This is, uh, this is another question that I did kind of totally different than Haley did it, but we <laughs> came up with the same answer. Um, in watching you go through it, I think you did it a lot more clearly than, than I did, but uh, basically, what, what I did was I figured out um, how much the firm charges for one hour of work, like for all of the people working on the project, right? So um, I added the 100 plus 60 twice, and that's 220. And then the principle is where it gets dicey because they're only working 10 hours a week, but that's a quarter of the time. So you could say uh, $25 an hour, right? Because their, their hourly rate is, uh, sorry, their direct hourly rate is $25 an hour. So if you, if you add that up, you figure out how much the firm is paying their employees per hour, you multiply that by the net multiplier and sort of go through the multiplication, you'll end up at the same answer. Um, but I think that was a little more confusing than the way Haley did it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change my strategy next time. <laughs> I think that's I think that's one of the most gratifying things about math, particularly on these exams, is that you really can work them several different ways and come to the right answer. It's like you said, as long as you're consistent, it you'll end up in a good place. 
Yeah, well, um, we've got one more here, so let's get to that one and then we'll do a little uh, Q&A session. Awesome, so I'm gonna clear up my calculator. I'm gonna go to a new whiteboard page and I'm gonna go over to the next question. So let's go straight to the bottom and look at that question mark. What is the cost of the change order for the newly added steel beams? Okay, so looking at a change order cost. Okay, during construction, the owner requests that the architect design a steel framed canopy to enclose a patio with a new flat roof. The architect has specified three W10 by 22 beams that are 18 feet long, each to each to frame the roof. The contractor included a unit price in the contract for a construction of $50,000 per ton of steel framing to furnish and install. The contractor schedule of values also lists that the contractor's overhead and profit markup on change orders is 14%. What is the cost of the change order for the newly added steel beams? So this is kind of a fun one because it requires sort of like another level of um, information that you need to have stored in your brain before you come in. And that's understanding what the numbers mean, whatever uh, a beam is called out, what, what these little guys mean here. So what we're trying to do right now is we're going to attack this in that we need to figure out how many tons, because we know how much it costs per ton that we're actually going to eat up with um, these beams that we've specified, and then we'll calculate um, the markup after that. So what we're going to do is we're going to start here by looking at this uh, this specified beam. So this is a 10 and 22. So that first number is going to be the depth of the beam in inches. And then that last number is going to be the weight in pounds of the beam per foot. So now that we know sort of what those numbers are, it's going to be really easy to calculate um, how how much steel we're going to use. All right, so we know that there are three beams. So let's go ahead and start off with three beams. And we know that we are going to be 18 feet long a piece. And we know that these beams are going to weigh 22 pounds for each foot. So what we're calculating now is we're going to be calculating basically just how many pounds of these beams are going to weigh. So that's going to be what we get here. So our feet will cancel out units and it'll be pounds of beam. So we're going to say three and we're going to multiply that by 18 and then we'll multiply that by 22. And that's going to give us a grand total of 1100. 88 pounds. So now we have to do like some light conversion. So we have our cost of steel expressed in per ton. So now we need to convert how many pounds we have into tons. So what we're going to do is we're going to very simply take this number, the 1188 pounds, and we know that um, there are 2,000 pounds in a ton. And so we're going to divide that by 2,000. And we're going to get how many tons this is. And so 1188 divided by 2,000. And that's going to give us 0.594 tons. Okay, so we're using 0.594 tons of steel. So now we're going to multiply that by the cost for that uh, steel. So we're going to say $50,000 per ton. So 
uh, times the number of tons we have, which is the 0.594, and that's going to give us the overall cost for how much these steel beams are going to cost us. $29,700. Oops. Okay. But we're not just looking at the cost of the of the install and furnishing of the beams. We're also needing to include uh, the markup because this is a change order. So we need to calculate that in as well. So we know what the what the overall cost is. And so they have um, a markup of 14%. So what we're going to do is we're going to say 1.14. So that's 100% of it plus another 14. So that's going to be 1.14 times the number we calculated for the furnishing and installing of the beams, which is 29,700. And then we'll get our total cost of our change order. And that number is going to be 33,858. So this this really relies on you having uh, an understanding of, um, you know, what what the numbers mean when beams are called out. It requires you understanding the conversion of um, your units, um, and it also requires you understanding sort of that uh, how that 14% comes into play when you use it. Um, and I think that if if you can kind of understand those concepts, you'd be probably pretty set on this on this question. Yeah, definitely. And one one thing I'll say about that 14% is there's a, there's a lot of discussion about the difference between markup and profit, right? Uh, so this question specifically says to apply a markup, which you do by adding the 14% to it. If there's a question that requires you to apply a profit to something, you would uh, divide by the uh, divide by the inverse of that percentage, and that's how you get a profit percentage. Um, it's a little bit different, so you should definitely be familiar with that stuff. Um, before walking into the uh, many of the exams, actually, not just the PCM exam. Um, the other thing about this question is this is an interesting um, an interesting way that maybe PPD and PDD topics are included on an exam that you might not expect them to be. Um, and we, we hear a lot that those types of questions are included in CE in particular and then maybe PCM and PJM. So, um, you know, we, we work to add those types of questions to our exams and, and give you as true of an experience as possible to the actual ARE. Um, I've got a couple of questions here, Haley. One of them, we can stick on this slide for a minute. Uh, somebody was asking on question two, though, how did you get 1.05 from 5%? And you actually did the same thing here with the 1.14 and 14%. So can you give us like, a, I don't know, the mathematical theory behind how that works? And it's a really nice, um, a really nice shortcut to kind of step out of your calculation if, you, if you're comfortable using it. Oh yeah, so this is one of my super favorite tricks um, whenever there's like a percentage and you know it's gonna go above. So instead of adding 5%, what you can do is you know that it's going to be 100% of whatever it is plus 5%, right? And so if you think about what 100% is, that's really just multiplying something times one. So whenever you convert um, decimals to, um, a percentage you'll you know multiply times a hundred right so in this case we're just going to leave it as the decimal so we don't have to worry with all those percent things and so one the number one represents a whole part of something and then these this counts as hundredths of something and so if if we want to take an additional five percent we know that it's one and then we add an additional 
five hundredths to it. So 1.05 is a great way of adding 5% to something without having to convert things back and forth. So it's just 1.05 would represent 105% of the initial. And just like this, since it's a markup of 14, we know it's everything that it is, which is the one, and then you're adding another 14% to it, which just gives you 114%, which expressed as a, as a decimal is 1.14. Yeah, I think I being comfortable I think being comfortable with that is super important. So I would I would suggest if you're if you, if you feel uncomfortable with it, do a couple of problems both ways. You'll get to the same answer, right? Like we've been talking about this whole time, and it's it's definitely a shortcut. I mean, if you're running out of space on your whiteboard as you're writing these things out, it'll save you some space. It'll obviously save you you know 30 seconds out of your precious exam time to not do that extra step. And uh, you know you can do it with any types of percentages. If this was 14.5%, it's just 1.145, right? Um, so it's it's a super powerful tool that you'll use not only on the ARI but um, but you know in real life. That was a super um, great question. Yeah, I think so. Um, we've got another a similar question here. If you want to go to question five, um, somebody's asking why are you only applying the net multiplier to the whole team and not to each member individually, like adding it to the principal and then the project manager and the designer individually. So um, yeah, if you could explain sort of the mathematical, how that works, why you're able to do it. Okay, so you could totally do it that way. Absolutely, um, not a problem. But the reason I chose to do it this way is because I wanted to just calculate how much my team is getting paid this week and then how much we're billing for them this week. So if you wanted to calculate them individually, that's perfectly fine. What's really fun about multiplication is it if you were to distribute this, it would work the exact same way as if you were to multiply at times everything put together first. So if you wanted to to calculate you know, each individual part, you would still multiply it times three, and then you would add it to this part multiplied times three, and you'd add it to this part multiplied times three, which is the exact same thing as adding all of them first and then multiplying it times three. It's really just distributing over a plus sign if we're getting algebraic about it. Let's not get too algebraic for the uh, not too complicated, um, but yeah, yeah, that was a great... Yeah, you could totally um, multiply each of these little components by three instead if you wanted to, and you come out with the same cost per week. Yeah, I think if you can learn some of these, uh, and hopefully you are on this on this area live, you can learn some of these time-saving tips to get through your math a little bit faster. Um, that's something that I hear a lot about these math, these multi-step math problems is people spend too much time on them. They start spending like, you know, almost 10 minutes on a question and, and that's obviously eating into your time to answer other questions. So if you can learn some of these shortcuts, it, it'll definitely help you out. Um, we had another question about this question asking, doesn't the salary include the multiplier? Um, and I'll just take that one quickly. The, the salaries here, salaries by definition don't include a multiplier, right? That's, it says direct hourly rate. Um, if it said um, hourly billing rate, that would include the multiplier, right? Um, and that would be a number three times what you see here. Um, but when we're talking about direct salary, that's just the word direct. It's just the direct salary um, that somebody makes. It's the money that actually goes to that employee um, in their compensation. And let's see what else we have here. Um, we have a couple of questions about rounding here. If you want to go to question three, um, 
somebody's wondering when calculating through an equation like the like question three, like the pay app, should it matter in the answer if we round the numbers or if we wait until the final answer? Okay, so that's a really awesome question. And I was thinking about that too when I was going through this. Um, as a general rule, and I'm not, this isn't chemistry or physics class or anything, but I like to just hang on to my numbers until the end. Um, if you start rounding too many times, you're going to lose some information there. So, um, you know, there might be different schools of thought on this, but I definitely think that the longer you can hold on to your significant uh, figures here, that I think you're going to be in better shape and get a more accurate number at the end. Yeah, I have the same uh, advice to everyone. It's, it, and it's useful in using the calculator here and just kind of keeping that number in the calculator. Um, what I, what I will say is that I, I understand that uh, NCARB, generally on a question that will have rounding in it, they accept a range of answers, right? And they've they've gone through it and they um, have, have looked at what's the answer if I round in early steps, what's the answer if I don't, and they're going to accept a range of answers that includes those. We actually do the same thing on all of our exam questions. Um, we, we can enter a range of answers that includes um, those things. But I would still, just as a matter of practice, um, so you don't have to think about it on exam day, I would keep your um, keep your rounding until the last step when they tell you to do it. Um, and that'll that'll sort of keep it straight in your mind. But a great question that we hear um, kind of all the time, actually. I get that question a lot. Um, somebody is asking, can you explain? Um, somebody is asking, can you explain the break-even ratio of company profit? Um, I think it would help if Haley, if you ex if you explain that concept of break-even ratio again, really quickly, and how that you know by definition doesn't include profit, right? Yeah, no problem. So your overhead is going to calculate everything. Let me see if I can find that for you. I don't. Okay. So your overhead is going to going to basically calculate everything that you are paying just to keep your business running okay and so if and that's going to be expressed in terms of um, like how much you're paying for salary so basically what you're doing is your overhead rate is calculating like your rent your utilities you just know what it costs to keep the lights on and run your business and then if you're adding that to everything that makes you money and you basically uh, need to be charging this as a rate just to get to zero so this is this break-even rate is basically not telling you how to make money. It's telling you where you need to be so you don't go broke. So that's what it is. It's right in the name there, break-even. It's your, it's just what you need to be making just so you don't go negative. Perfect. Hopefully yeah. that was, that was good. <laughs> I thought that was clear. So thank you for that one. Um, we've got a couple of questions here about kind of your setup here on the whiteboard and the, the, um, the calculator. Um, somebody asked, can we create side-by-side -side windows like this during the actual exam? Uh, the answer is that you can't on the actual, we've kind of set up, set this up uh, just for today's ARI Live. The, the actual exam will look a little bit different because the whiteboard and the calculator are pop-ups on your screen. Um, but you can drag those around so that they don't cover the question text. Um, and in fact, if you, if you close them and want to open them again, um, you won't lose any of your information that's in there. Um, I tested it out and um, your, your information is saved all, you know, in this case, your pages one through seven will be there, all of your calculator memory um, will be right there. So feel free to get comfortable with that using some practice exams. 
open it, close it, make sure you've, you're comfortable moving it around the screen. Um, that'll save you some anxiety on test day. And then um, somebody's asking, what are, you, what are you clicking on to get back into the text box? Uh, this, this person um, was saying during the exam, they can't get back into the text box and they have to make a new one and it needs up time and it's, it's super frustrating. So I love this question because this is exactly what I was struggling with um, on uh, whenever we were doing our practice. So up here, text is different from select. And so your text won't let you go back. It's, it's basically a new text. So if you click on select an object, then you click on it, then you can click inside and edit what you've already done. But the text is strictly just a new text box button. You have to actually go to select and then go back inside of it. Yeah, and if you if you forget to do that, right, and you start creating all these new text box over your screen and you mess everything up, just go hit that undo button, um, which is the counterclockwise circle. And if you click that too many times, you can click redo, which is the button to the right of it. And, um, you know, you can sort yourself out that way so you don't have to recreate a page if you're in the middle of a question like this and and you've uh, kind of created too many text box over your, over your uh, screen. Um, all right, this is kind of a general question, but somebody's saying that they have, uh, they're having a difficult time keeping the formulas straight and memorizing them. I'm wondering if you have any tips to help retain the formulas. Yeah, so I think the, the most useful piece of information I can give you about memorizing them is not to memorize them. You need to understand the concept of what they need. And yes, it's important how they all relate to each other. And yes, it's useful to memorize a, a, a formula and I would be lying if I said I didn't have them memorized, but I think what's the most important thing is understanding uh, these terms as vocabulary. So if you know what it is that these terms mean, you'll start to understand how they relate to one another. And when you figure out how they relate to one another, the I think that's just having a deep understanding of what it is you're looking for. I think that'll help you um, memorize them because it'll feel less like memorization and it'll feel a lot more like understanding, which is a higher level of learning than just rote memorization. I cannot agree enough. That's, uh, that's, that's great advice. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that, but that's that's the truth. And it, it, it'll it help you with, you know, if you're getting a question that is about what is a net multiplier or something maybe like that, just requires you to actually understand what that means as opposed to just knowing the formula for it. It'll, it'll help you out on those types of questions too. And um, when I was when I was explaining earlier when we were, when we were going through the question, uh, I think it was question two, when I was saying, well, if you, if you think about it, if your net multiplier is less than one, it's not much of a net multiplier, right? Um, I, I couldn't say that type of a thing if I just knew the formula and didn't understand what the number actually means, how you use it, and, and really didn't have a deep understanding of that concept. So um, I would, and you'll get there by doing practice questions that have to do with net multiplier and by um, attending virtual workshops and, and watching our videos, um, you'll, you'll start to build that deeper understanding. It's not going to come overnight, but I would strongly recommend um, that point of attack. Um, if you could pop over to question one for a second, Haley, I think we're at the end of our questions here. Um, I can take this one. Somebody's asking, isn't uh, isn't 28% of six of the total labor um, doesn't it come out to a little bit of a different number, right? That is true. Um, I think the the actual percentage here, if we were including um, decimal points, is like 27.8% or something. 
Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't fret over something like that if you really think about and it's a few dollars difference, right? If you really think about this, we're talking about a firm with one and a half million dollars in net operating revenue and almost four hundred thousand dollars in profit. It's a pretty insignificant number. And I think it's important to realize that, particularly in financial documents and also in pay apps, there's a little bit of rounding that's going to occur. And this kind of gets back to the rounding question earlier, where um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. We're talking about millions of dollars here. A couple of dollars is essentially insignificant um, to that. And, and just be confident that NCARB will accept, and we also on our practice exams, will accept your answer within a certain range. And um, hope that gives you comfort with, with rounding. There's always going to be rounding, um, and it's, it's just one of those things. Um, if you have a second, Haley, somebody's also asking just a, a little bit of an explanation on how to read this chart. What would you make of it? Uh, I wouldn't say this is like the most straightforward chart to read in general. It's We've got some columns here that are kind of challenging. I, I agree. I, it took me a second to demystify that as well, but I think it's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this very well, but I, I feel like they're taking a total labor, applying a percentage and then giving a subtotal. So your indirect labor, things are being done to these numbers in these columns. And then these are the actual numbers that relate to what's over here on the left. So I don't, I don't know that, that this is probably probably like I don't know it, how to read this. This is saying this is the total labor column and then multiplied times a percentage and it's going to give you what that subtotal is for each category. I feel like these two columns are just processing numbers and then these are your actual subtotals for these different ones. And so if you come over here, um, you're getting a grand total of, of these three items because it's bolded. So these three items put together will give you this one um, as a grand total. And then, yeah, that's that's kind of how that's going. Yeah, it's definitely a little confusing, I think, especially because it's, it's by, you know, by nature of the question, an incomplete chart. Um, Agreed. But I would say there's, you know, if, even in real life, different firms are going to probably have different formats for these types of things. There's not like you can't go in and study and memorize what this type of chart needs to look like. You just need to be able to, again, understand the concepts behind these things and, um, you know, use some hints. There's some uh, there's some rows here that are grayed out and bolded. Those look like totals, right? And, and the, there's a big number in the total column. Um, net operating revenue is kind of a merged cell that is going to looks like it's going to add up all of the totals, probably just the gray totals and profit. Um, so you can use little hints like that um, to, to try to read these charts that you might see on the exam that um, they might look a little bit different from what you studied. I mean, again, there's no standard way of presenting a chart like this. I think also it helps um, if you know what you're looking for, you can probably, you can, you can see that this looks like it's probably a sum of these numbers. You can even hop over to your calculator and add them up real fast and see that that's what's going on here. I think it, it just kind of goes back to if you know what kind of numbers you're needing to get out of this based on what it's asking you for, then you can probably reason out what the purpose of these numbers would be. For sure. Well, I think that's the end of our question. So I guess that is it for today. Um, be sure to tune in to our next ARE Live broadcast on June 11th, 2022, and where we'll work through a construction and evaluation case study. Uh, we're going to go through six or eight, six to eight, not sure yet, brand new questions from a set of construction administration documents with our guest expert, Garrick Baker, who is also a virtual workshop instructor. 
Um, he'll share insights into how to navigate case studies on the ARE and answer all of your case study related questions in a live Q&A, just like we did just now. Uh, keep your eye out for that mock exam link in the coming weeks so we can test your knowledge before going over the answers during the live broadcast. And I'll post a link to register in the chat box in your GoToWebinar control panel, or you can go to go.blackspectacles.com forward slash ARE dash live. That's a mouthful to sign up. Um, as I mentioned at the top of our webinar, Black Spectacles offers the first and only ARE pass guarantee. We're so confident that if you use our expert membership to the fullest, you'll pass the ARE. If you don't pass, we'll pay for your retake. Uh, to learn more about how to qualify for the guarantee or to <clears throat> check out individual membership options, just head over to go.blackspectacles.com. And I just shared a link to learn more about the guarantee in the chat. Haven't joined Spectacular yet? Spectacular is the professional network for architecture and design. We built this platform for you to showcase your portfolio, seek inspiration, network with architects and firms outside of your local community, and to help you find your dream job. Use spectacular.design to create your free profile and upload your best projects today for the opportunity to be featured on our homepage. And I just shared the link to register in the chat as well. Uh, I wanna share that the lucky winner of our Black Spectacles t-shirt is Joshua J. We'll reach out by email to get your size and shipping information. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to be eligible, eligible to win a t-shirt, post a question you have about our feature topic in our community during the next ARE Live in August. Uh, our community is also always buzzing. It's not just during ARE Live, so feel free to poke around and see what fellow architects are up to and asking about. Finally, be sure to stick around for a few minutes to take our survey and share any suggestions you may have. I promise we read every word that you write in and we use them to fine tune our upcoming episodes. Thanks for watching. Thank you.